0: I
1: know I'm crazy. I
0: am crazy. I, know I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. With naja Hall. Hey everybody, this is Naja. We are here with another episode of I Know I'm Crazy. And this week we have a guest. Um, it's actually a friend of mine, a real life friend of mine who we've actually never met in person. His name is Brian Barnett. And let me just give you a quick backstory to how I met Brian. So, you know, guys, we talk about everything here. We talk about divorce, emotional health, mental health, um, remarriage, step-parenting, co-parenting, all that stuff. And a lot of you guys know, I don't really hide my situation and it was super high conflict. And what do you do when you know that you're in a high conflict situation, but you've not done anything to deserve it? You kind of go to the internet. And I was like, there has to be a diagnosis for what I'm dealing with, because this is not real life. Like, I literally don't deserve all the visceral that's being thrown my way. And so I started Googling. I mean, I, I Googled the, person that, the typical personality disorders that we know about. Narcissism is a popular one. Everybody likes to call their ex a narcissist. Um, you know, it's just something that's overly used in my opinion. And most people just aren't narcs. But then I came across something called borderline personality disorder. And so they say there's 12, 10 to 12 common symptoms to where, you know, a person has borderline. And I was like, oh my God, the high conflict person in my life, they fit all this. Dear God, they fit all this. And so I'm looking at all of these things. And I'm going to tell you what the criteria are. Brian, I know you're there because I can hear you breathing, but <laughs> am, I,
2: am I breathing that loud?
0: <laughs> you are breathing so loud, Brian. <laughs> like, what are you oh. doing?
2: <laughs> you're looking I'm, really good, Naja. You're looking really good.
0: So guys, Brian and I are actually on camera right now. Um, this is only just going to be the audio, but um, so yeah, like we can see each other, but you guys, can't see us. And so basically, a person with borderline personality disorder, they make frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. They have a pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships characterized by extremes between idealization and devaluation, also known as splitting. And there's a few more, and I'm going to list them all in the blog for you guys, or maybe Brian and I will cover them. And so I'm reading all this. I was like, oh my God, How does a person go about getting diagnosed? I understand maybe childhood trauma creates it in some way, but then I came across Brian on this website called Quora. Quora is like this question and answer type of deal. But Brian was so intense about the way he spoke about BPD, which is borderline personality disorder. I'll be referring to it as BPD going forward, just because it takes a long time to say it. Brian is a person that, has been diagnosed with BPD. Brian is also a person that claims that he has cured himself. Now, I say the word claims, and not to be offensive to him, but in the community of psychotherapists and all the head shrinkers out here, some of them would say somebody like Brian is mistaken. They'll say, you know what, you're so caught up in your own BPD, you don't realize that you still got it, and now you're trying to lead other people. But what Brian has done is he's created a force, he has medical professionals that once thought that there was absolutely no cure to this disorder. Now they're coming to him and looking at him as an expert. So we have him on the line today. Hey, Brian, hey, naja. you, did you like that intro? Was that cool?
2: That was uh, energetic,
0: yeah. You know, like you know, I, I feel like you're gonna, I'm always at a level 10, but I kind of feel like you're you're like really smooth level five. So I gotta kind of be 15 you
2: are, today you and i are studying contrast yeah that's for
0: sure. <laughs> it probably in every way shape and form <laughs> oh by the way ladies y'all know i'm married but I don't, I don't know if brian is single but brian is really attractive so i'm gonna put some pictures of him on on his on the page the blog page about him just go to blendedandblack.com slash podcast brian is really good looking dude like tv fine brian is good looking <laughs> brian are you single
2: You know, I are you still cashing those checks
0: I'm sending you? (laughs) I'm cashing everybody's checks, honey. (laughs) All of them.
2: (laughs) Well, thank thank you. You you don't
0: want to answer that question. Did I put you on the spot?
2: Well, you know, the thing is, the more uh, the more uh, the more my name gets out there, Uh the more the less I like to uh, reveal parts of my personal gotcha Um, you know my personal life because i share so much of myself about my bpd crisis and what led to it and everything and uh there are some things i want to kind of keep to myself
1: okay
0: okay brian (laughs) is being hollywood with us y'all he's like speak to my publicist okay no but you'll tell me off air it's fine it's totally okay Um, i'll tell you everything no (laughs) so brian is very open about his experience with borderline personality disorder. And he has some opinions that are directly different than what you're going to read on WebMD or any one of these websites. So, Brian, I'm going to ask you for first two, you know, everybody that comes on the show, they have to tell us why they're crazy. So, Brian <laughs> Barnett, why are you, why do you know you're crazy?
2: Well, I was, you know, I had this whole thing picked out to tell you, Nadja, because you had warned me about this beforehand. And I thought, well, I'm going to tell her all about my background and how I had the whole water up a hill out of a freshwater spring. We okay. Didn't, we, didn't freshwater, we didn't have fresh water. We didn't have fresh uh, running water in our home and stuff like that. And I thought, no. Well, something more immediate has come up. Okay. I, uh, I went to pick up a pizza the other night and there was a cat there at the door of the pizza place. And I bent over to pet him and I thought to myself, he's going to run away. And if he does, this will all be over. But he, but he didn't. He didn't run away. He turned out to be the sweetest cat I think I've ever met in my entire life. So I brought him home.
0: Is that the cat you have right there right now that I'm looking at? Oh. <laughs> yeah. And he's,
2: he is uh, not fixed. And I've got like a thousand female cats outside of my house who are all in heat. And he is walking around in the worst shape you can imagine. He's just crying and crying and crying, wanting me to let him out.
0: Oh, I so, bet he does. I bet he wants to get out to get some of that cattail.
2: That's right. He wants some pussy uh, cats. He wants some. So he wants a-
0: <laughs> now I got to that- put an E on this uh, for explicit. Thanks a lot, Brian. It's a kid show.
2: God. <laughs> so that that's why I'm crazy because that's, right now. Yeah. I'm- I'm dealing with this cat who's just as horny as can be and oh the cat, the, the females in the neighborhood and driving him nuts. And oh. and that's what we're dealing with.
0: Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Like you picked up a stray cat. That also means like you're pretty compassionate though, which is something yep. that they would say a person uh, that's in full BTB BPD crisis mode would just lack is compassion. Correct?
2: Well, you know, when in my family growing up, um, My father, I consider him a narcissist and I had BPD and I adopted some of his ideals about towards animals. Okay. And there were, there was a good 10 years there where I was very abusive towards animals. Um, What did you do to animals? Well, I didn't see anything wrong with abusing them physically as long as they would, as long as it was in the interest of getting them to obey and and fall into line. So that's a, that's a big regret in my life. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, something I don't do anymore. And I'm, I'm, happy to be out of that mindset. But um, th- it was part of my culture growing up and and it's not something I'm proud of.
0: So dad was a diagnosed narcissist or just from what you know at this point you have come to believe that he's a narcissist because of your own research? Yeah
2: I've, be, I've come to believe that he's a narcissist. You know I don't grow up in a culture you know I'm from the I'm from Appalachia and I don't grow up in a culture where pe where men uh, particularly and <laughs> Not a lot of women go yeah. to looking for answers. Um, mm-hmm. Psychology is considered kind of a, a fringe science, and uh, I had I had to escape that that kind of mentality in order to get where I am.
0: Okay. Okay. So I want to go back. I know I started you guys reading um, a couple of things, a couple of the symptoms. And I think I stopped at three or four. You guys know I'm not good with keeping up with lists. But, you know, we talked about the frantic or efforts to avoid abandonment at any cost, pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships, identity disturbance, meaning they have an uh, unstable self-image. Impulsive behavior in at least two areas, which are potentially self-damaging, meaning, meaning spending, sex, substance abuse, reckless behavior, binge eating. The next one is recurrent suicidal behavior, gestures or threats, or self-harming behavior. Emotional instability in reaction to day-to-day events or anxiety that lasts for hours and only rarely, more than a few days. Um, next is chronic feelings of emptiness. After that is inappropriate, intense anger or difficulty controlling anger. And the last one is transient stress-related paranoid ideation. Gosh, I can't read big words today. Or severe disassociative symptoms. So, Brian, these are the, pretty much the 9, 10 that they say that you, got, you have to fit in order to be deemed as a person with borderline personality disorder. When you got your diagnosis, were you immediately diagnosed with BPD?
2: Well, the truth is, I was never diagnosed with BPD. I I was diagnosed with something else, and uh, I had to come to that kind of conclusion on my own. I mean, I had to come to that diagnosis on my own.
0: What led you to do that on your own? And do you are you able to talk about what I don't remember what you said you were previously diagnosed with? Have you shared that?
2: You know, I have. I I don't. um, You know, I don't go into detail about it usually because. Okay. I figured that's that's going to be a distraction for the people I'm trying to help, but
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, you know, there's it's not a secret.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: I'll, I'm happy to share it with you. Yes. Uh, so at the time, I was uh, having a lot of affairs.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I was married. I was a married man, and I was having a lot of of affairs. And so um, it was very simple. For I mean, it wouldn't have taken a, a rocket scientist to look at that.
0: So you were diagnosed as being, um, a sex addict. Yeah.
2: So what, what happens is, um, when you go into, I mean, a lot of people can identify with this. When you go in to see a professional in the professional field, for the first time uh, she or he sits down with you and within the first, I mean, a you know, a, a session is supposedly an hour yeah but but generally what you get is about 45 minutes because there's there's a few minutes of Mm -hmm. uh, small talk at the beginning and there's a few minutes of small talk at the end well within 45 minutes she had diagnosed me as a sex addict on the on the very first what oh (sighs) on the very first visit she you know she had never met me in her life before and within 45 minutes that's what she had to do well you know, I don't completely blame her for that. the The fact is, the whole system is is bogus the way it's set up because Man. she has to answer. She has to answer to the um, insurance companies.
0: Yes, correct? absolutely.
2: So within forty five minutes, she has to come up with something that she can give the insurance companies. Well, so that's what she gave them.
1: Mm-hmm. You
2: know, ba- based on this very superficial conversation we had within forty five minutes, and then from then on every other therapist that ever saw me after that just ran with her primary with her uh previous uh initial diagnosis so that was what i was dealing with so for the first two years i thought i was a sex addict i was sold on it Mm. Um, every you know because i was desperate i was losing my marriage i was losing my house i was losing everything that i that i had worked so hard for yeah so i I was buying into it 110%. Okay, I'm a sex addict.
0: So at that point, let me ask you this. Um, you, got, you continued to get the diagnosis. You felt like something was different. So would you yourself go and try to seek out different opinions, second opinions, or did you fire the therapist and like, let me go somewhere else?
2: Well, I learned a lot about sex addiction, and I started attending sex um, addicts anonymous meetings. Mm-hmm. And what I saw there was that, uh, the people there, uh, what they were expressing did not jive with what I was feeling. You mm. know, I I knew that inside of me, that sex was not the motivating thing. And what words, was it? Well, it was something deeper than that. It was something more profound than that. And this leads me to the whole philosophy that I use for my,
1: my followers is that Mm -hmm. it's not a thing.
2: It's a it's a subconscious uh distorted core belief that that is at the root of borderline personality disorder and those two core those two distorted core beliefs are my feelings are just my feelings are irrelevant and shameful devoid of worth and if my feelings fit into that c- category then i myself am also
1: devoid of irrelevant
2: work. and shameful devoid of worth yeah because your feelings are you you see right so i've kind of gotten away from um the exact diagnosis i don't think that the exact
0: diagnosis is actually is actually that important right um
2: the the diagnosis is kind of based on your personality. You know, we're all born with a unique personality. If, he, if you go to a, a barn right now, a farmer's barn where he's got a new litter of puppies. And if you sit and you watch the puppies for five, ten minutes, you'll see that these five, six day old puppies, they have been born with their unique personality types.
0: Absolutely.
2: Right. So if that's true for puppies, how much more truer is that for human beings? So. We are born with a certain personality uh, inclination, let's say, and then you come up with these. uh, And then these in these your personality type comes into contact with your parents. Uh, unhealthy attitudes, mm. they their misperceptions of life, and this is what creates your particular uh, emotional disorder.
0: All so right? you're so saying s- you're born, you're born with a certain personality type, but then you go, you grow up in the household that you come up in, and then that's kind of cultivated or not, and then you well, become who you are.
2: Y- right. Um, what I'm saying is that. Uh, anybody born into an emotionally unhealthy family is going to end up emotionally unhealthy, no matter who you are,
0: mm-hmm. no matter who you are. What makes and, an un- emotionally unhealthy family? And I do also know that there's a level of resilience that, you know, cause how do we explain where there's five kids that grew up in a household, everybody suffers from abuse, but only one becomes a serial killer. Um,
2: well, well, only one becomes a serial killer, but what happens to the others? You know, you, you, you're you're assuming that they all be turn out perfectly emotionally healthy, and that's not true. the The reality is that when you grow up in an emotionally unhealthy family, and to to answer your question, mm-hmm. uh, the definition of emotionally unhealthy is when anybody when when a per, when people have uh, an unrealistic perspective that is a perspective a foundation perspective can be subconscious unconscious it can be conscious of uh the nature and value of one's feelings and the nature and value of one's inherent value as a as a human being all right so
0: you got to break that down a little bit brian you got to simplify that
2: all right let's say it like this It it all starts with feelings, all right, um, and from there it evolves. So, I mean, I'm not saying that it can never start with a one's inherent uh, perspective of themselves. Yeah. But, gen- but generally, the way it starts is with one's unhealthy view of feelings, and it, it it's really not any more complicated than that. Okay. Okay. So so. What happens is you get these families, and they have a subconscious, distorted view of the inherent nature of what feelings are, their value, and their purpose in
1: life.
0: So completely right? out of touch with what I hate to use the word "normal" sometimes, but um, balance. We have an imbalance group. It has right. an, okay.
2: Well, I'm glad you said that because normal is an unconstructive term. Right. There's no, there's no constructive uh, (laughs) use for, for the word normal. Because if you, if you have um, 8,000 people who all think that, um, you know, feelings are emotionally, or who think that feelings are uh, shameful. Yeah. And you've only got a hundred people who think that feelings are inherently valuable, that they're inherently worth worthwhile. Right. Well, then, then who sets, the tr- who sets the definition for what is normal and what is not normal? Well, the Absolutely. 800, the 8,000 people do. So I like to speak in terms of emotionally healthy and emotionally unhealthy. Mm-hmm. All right. So you've, you've got uh, the, uh, f- families who have the correct, the, the proper view of what feelings are. These families are emotionally healthy families because everything springs from there. Right. If you have the proper view of a person's feelings. Now, the way that uh, borderline personality disorder specifically forms is that parents subconsciously, they don't even know it. They're just going about their lives. They're just normal people like you and me. Mm -hmm. And they're just going about their lives. And they think they subconsciously believe that feelings are irrelevant, that it's just kind of like this bothersome thing.
0: Oh, dear God. Like, Let's not toy with feelings today. So this might be, I I like to give people concrete examples. So what are some things that us as parents can say to our children that will more than likely make them develop some BPD symptoms? Like one thing I can, just just off what you said, I would assume would be stop crying. Um,
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Not allowing them
0: to express their tears or their pain. Stop crying. You're being silly and you're minimizing that.
2: Right. Well, I'm glad you, that you mentioned that because mm-hmm. better, be, better even than mentioning uh, things that you should say to your, your kids is is creating a contrast about what you should not say to your kids. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So what kind of attitude should you not have for, toward your kids?
1: Right, right. Well,
2: you know, my daughter, the other, my daughter's on the verge of four.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And the other day she was crying mm-hmm. about. <laughs> you know, who knows what? Yeah. <laughs> She's crying about something. It's bothering her. And I know, I know that it's ridiculous. I know that her reasons for that are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So how am I going to react? Right. Am yeah. I going to react like it's ridiculous? No, that's not probably not the do. best thing to do. So the best thing for me to do is to recognize that her feelings and my perceived reason for her feelings are not the same thing. There are two different things.
0: Her feelings, say that again, her feelings, your crying child's feelings and your perceived reasons for her feelings. Like, Oh God, she's just being silly. Two totally different things. How you perceive it and how she perceives it.
2: Right. And, 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 uh, uh an example I like to use frequently is that one time I took my daughter into, you know, I was in a pizza place with her. And she had to go potty. So I took her into the bathroom. Mm-hmm. While we were in there, we got done. I washed my hands. I washed her hands. I turned on the air hand dryer in the bathroom. She was terrified. She was terrified <laughs> of the hair air hand dryer.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> now, does it, should it matter to me that her fear is based on something that I know can't hurt her? And, and the reality is, is that no, it shouldn't matter because fear is a relative thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, it doesn't have to make sense to me in okay. order for it to be valid. Mm. So a lot of the, so the example I've been using a lot in the last year since, you know, about since time you and I've been talking
1: mm-hmm.
2: is that, is it more valid Is my daughter's fear more valid if she is afraid of an alligator rather than an air hand dryer in a bathroom? And the answer
0: to her, no.
2: Right. She's feeling what she's feeling, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: (laughs) No, it doesn't matter what the reason is. But my ability to understand that she's feeling what she's feeling, no matter what, that is where the value is.
1: Not, mm.
2: not in why she's feeling that way, but what she's feeling, and a lot of parents, the, the parents who are the um, the frequent um, uh, violators of children's feelings they're they're too caught up in why their children are feeling that
0: way rather than what their children are feeling. Woohoo. That's a really good Instagram quote. Let me write that down, Brian. I'm going to put your name on it, but that was really good. Damn, that was good. Say it yeah. again. Say it again so we can absorb it. Well,
2: you know, parents, the, the parents who are frequent violators of their children's feelings because they don't value the, the feeling in itself. They, you know, they don't place the value in and of itself, in the, in the feeling itself. They're too caught up and why the, the child is feeling that way rather than what the child is feeling mm. and and that's where the damage occurs because when you disregard what the child is feeling the the conclusion that the child arrives at is that my feelings like I said earlier are, are not relevant and shameful and devoid of worth and and you know it seems like such a simple thing but If you grow up from three or four years old thinking that your feelings are devoid of worth, then what conclusion can you possibly come to except that you also are devoid of worth because your feelings are you, you are your feelings that they're what make you, you.
0: Would you agree that, Borderline personality disorder, its foundation is in the fear of abandonment? No, I wouldn't. Okay. Because that's what it says everywhere on the internet. Right.
2: <laughs> I, I know that. And I, and I know that uh, I, you know, explicitly, I, um, mm-hmm. a lot of times I completely um, contradict what the professional community says, but what mm-hmm. they're, what they're focusing on there, when they say that, they're focusing on a thing. Borderline personality disorder is not rooted in a thing. It's rooted in an attitude. All right? So the, the cause of borderline personality disorder is anything, anything that our, care do, that our caregivers do that calls us to believe that our feelings are inherently irrelevant and shameful, devoid of worth, and so are we. So it can be anything. It's, it's not an action. It's not a thing. It's, okay. It's, a, it's an attitude that these parents have. So, you know, a lot of people, um, well, uh, not the majority of people who have borderline personality disorder, but a great number of them Mm -hmm. uh, would say, well, I was raped when I was four or five, you know, which is just, it's horrific for me. As a father. Unimaginable. God. It it brings tears to my eyes. Yeah. Um, But even so, I have to be honest with my audience and I have to say, that's not, that the rape was not what caused your borderline personality disorder. It was the met. It was the inherent messages involved in that. And what were those inherent messages? Well, they were the same thing that everybody with borderline personality disorder hears. Your feelings are inherently irrelevant and shameful, devoid of worth. And so are you. That's why I can do this to you. Even though
0: you terribly hate it. Okay. Okay okay because, because that is a stark contrast brian to right? what the i said that is a stark contrast to what the medical community does say about bpd how in the right. hell is there such a major disconnect between them and the people experiencing this disorder
2: how well, be, how? well because the, the the professional community and you know i don't uh, i don't rail against all of them i yeah I'm thankful i'm thankful personally to uh, especially one uh person in in particular from that community
1: mm-hmm.
2: for helping me point for helping point me in the right direction. But, um, I also don't hold back from uh, discussing their failures when it's appropriate. And, <laughs> uh, this, this is one of those things, you know, they, the reason the answer to your question, Maja is that their focus is on moderating, moderating the symptoms. Mm-hmm. So, Now, if you think, if you're from, if you're looking at that, if you're looking at the issue from their perspective, moderating or uh, soothing the symptoms, it makes sense, that approach or that, that conclusion that uh, trauma is what causes borderline personality disorder. But if you're somebody like me who says, why, why live with this disorder for your entire life? Why not, why not get rid of it entirely? Then you want to go a little bit deeper. And you want to say uh, it's not the trauma, it's the messages that were, were inherent to that trauma that caused you. Because if the thing is, if you can't see, if you can't distinguish the cause of your problem
1: mm-hmm.
2: from the symptoms, the, I mean, the, 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 the genuine cause from the symptoms, then you're never going to escape it. So there's nothing more important than being able to distinguish. Or right, It wasn't the rape. It wasn't the, the sexual abuse. It was it how it
0: made me feel. It made me feel devalued and devoid of worth.
2: It was the messages that I heard, and I say heard in, in air quotes.
0: Yeah. yeah. That
2: It was the messages that I received from that behavior and that I adopted into my subconscious understanding of the world.
0: Okay, that's really deep, but I get it. And I know my listeners are very, very smart and they're going to get it. Now, I I have another question. So what, I read a statistic a while ago or something somewhere, and it said that women are typically categorized or diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and men tend to be the narcissist, which I've met, you know, vice versa of both. Why do you think that is?
2: Well, I don't think that's true. (laughs) Mm But I'll tell you why I think that that's the interpretation of what it is okay what is the um, what is the uh typical guy's first experience with in a therapeutic uh setting you know when a guy goes to a therapist, what is typically the first um, I would
0: think what marriage counseling course. or relationship counseling or something like there, that
2: There you go there you go yeah so. So a guy, uh, you know, by nature is not inclined to go and explore his inner psyche. It's just right. not, it's just not programmed into us. Now, if you look at who are the greatest numbers of people who are buying self-help books and going to therapists, it's overwhelmingly women. And, and maybe a lot yeah. of people will attack me as a, as yeah. that being a sexist statement. Uh, they're free to do that. I yeah. mean, you're free to feel however you want about it.
0: Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, is, I wouldn't disagree with that sentiment at all, though. Fellas just don't do the self-care stuff that we do as women.
2: Right. Yeah. But you're absolutely right that the first experience that a guy has in a therapeutic setting is generally, generally a couple session to appease a wife or a girlfriend.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. So true. God.
2: Right?
0: Oh, God, that is so true.
2: <laughs> so now from that, what do you gather? From that, what you gather, uh, obviously, is that men cannot be included in a um st- in the statist- in the statistics of a study in which they refuse to participate.
0: Okay. So the numbers are kind of janky because they're just not accurate because we don't even have the test subject there. I got it. So- the numbers
2: are the numbers are what they are, but the interpretation is um it's very biased. And it's I very see. uh it's very false it's very false
0: so let's get to the nitty-gritty of it there are many people that are listening right now that are in these high conflict situations who may have diagnosed the person that is causing them some pain with something narcissism bpd you know lord knows i did i was looking for as i I mentioned earlier i was looking for everything any any sort piece of help that would make me be able to show compassion and empathy or just to understand And I develop my own ways, like my own system of dealing with it. But Mm -hmm. how would you advise a person? Now, let's just say they are dealing with a person with BPD. And now knowing what we know, what you've taught us about borderline personality disorder, it seems as if this person would be walking around always on the defense they think no one understands them they're always ready to fight they're completely misunderstood they don't value themselves because they've been taught that so they damn sure don't value you or your relationship there's no boundaries how is a person supposed to deal with a personality like this that's co-parenting with them
2: well you know i've thought about your particular uh, circumstance you know you're dealing with uh, families who are blended uh, yeah step step families and such
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: you, you might have a father or a mother who, you know, you're sharing kids with, uh, you know, somebody who's dealing with borderline personality disorder and and they've got to interact with that person. Yeah. So uh, the best advice I can give you is to understand the two distorted core beliefs. I mean, really, when, whenever <laughs> the two distorted core beliefs of borderline personality disorder, what I always come back to, the, it's the answer for everything. You might be wondering, well, how is it the answer for somebody who doesn't have borderline personality? Well, the the answer to that is this, context, mm-hmm. context. When you have context, you have everything. Okay. When you have context, when you have the proper context, you have all the tools in your toolbox to deal with that situation that you could possibly hope for. So remember i talking to your listeners now
1: mm-hmm.
2: the two distorted core beliefs of borderline personality disorder. Anybody who has the disorder is, is operating on this subconscious foundation. My feelings are irrelevant and shameful, devoid of worth. And so am I now, when you know that when you go into a situation, knowing that their behaviors now are not, uh, are not a curiosity
0: you know what they're thinking. That's one thing to know what they're thinking. And then not another thing, not to want to punch their lights out because you know, you're still human and you're still dealing with a very human thing. Um, so you're saying the first thing that a person in a situation that it's high conflict. And if they are dealing with someone with a, a personality, this type of personality disorder, you got to understand where they're coming from. You have to understand that they are operating from a distorted core belief. Correct.
2: Right. Well, when you see somebody and they're acting crazy,
0: well, there's a there's a. Is there anything my, you could say to calm them down or to make it stop?
2: My my favorite quote of all time, and I saw this in Huntington, West Virginia, back in like 1996, and mm-hmm. I've never forgotten it. Uh, is those who hear not the music think the dancers mad? Th- those who hear not the music think Thank the dancers are mad I now, think about mean. think about plugging your ears mm-hmm. and watching a stage of dancers you'd say what the hell is wrong with them they're right what are these people the doing but you take out your earplugs right and now it makes sense you you've got the rhythm you you see what they're doing okay. well that's the that's the thing with borderline personality disorder as soon as you understand the distorted core beliefs and what that implies you know it's not just that and it's done it's it, it, think about if you lived with that perspective mm-hmm. that's your underlying perspective Every, so you're everything you do in the world you're wearing a pair of uh, filtered sunglasses and everything you see and observe and do has to first be filtered through that belief that my feelings are devoid of worth mm-hmm. and so am i
1: mm-hmm.
2: how would that affect you now when you see these people behave in this way you have context you say right. oh god i know why <laughs> he's so angry oh god i know why she's reacting this way
0: so do i also put on the filtered glasses and join them in happy land or do i try to get them to take off the filter if that's well, even possible
2: the thing about recovery is that it's an individual accomplishment. You're never gonna, you can't do it for someone.
0: So I'm not gonna ever be able to talk a person uh, back no. into. Okay. what no, not happening. no. You're
2: you're never gonna be able to convince them that your reality is the reality. So the the, the next best, the next best thing.
0: <laughs> I know a lot is, of people out there like, damn. So this is it.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know, it is what it is. I yeah. I'd love to tell you something different, but I can't. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you're they, honest,
0: you know, you're, you're honest they,
2: for sure. They, they have, that's something they have to do on their own. But
0: why know, did you want to do it, Brian? Why did you want to take off the filter?
2: Because I hit
0: rock bottom. That's why, a, How did you hit rock bottom? And I know the my, story. I read all of your blogs, but for the people that haven't out there.
2: Well, uh, the the notes version of, of it, I reckon, would be that. uh,
0: You said I reckon. Oh, <laughs> oh you so country. <laughs> I thought I was country. I'm from Tennessee, but wait, where are you from, Brian?
2: I'm from West Virginia, Kentucky.
1: South oh, Eastern so we're Ohio, close. So, yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. I said yeah. I reckon. Well, hot damn. Okay. Appalachia. 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 Okay. So, why did you wanna be better? Or why did you not not better? Why did you wanna say? Why did you say I don't want this to be my life anymore? you know
2: the the pain was so intense from the last um w- with a person with borderline personality disorder your your life cycles it cycles in a in a predictable pattern and it mm. goes from it goes from finding love getting into a relationship everything's going great uh everything starts to fall apart because your borderline personality disorder does cannot allow for a healthy relationship you lose everything and you're at the pit bottom of everything, and then you go back to finding love, and every you know it goes around and around.
0: Always starts over again. So, so, at the, so before you got married, um, that was obviously a long relationship. So it was pretty difficult for you to maintain interpersonal relationships.
2: Well, it becomes like kind of a white knuckle thing, you know. The, my my first wife was a black woman. Mm-hmm. I married a I married a black woman. I moved to Columbus, Ohio. I grew up in <laughs> Appalachia, as I said. Mm-hmm. And I moved up to the city and she was different from me. Okay. And I, I celebrated our, our stark differences. Right. Uh, we got married. at lasts about three years and we got divorced.
0: And you didn't have kids with her or did you guys have,
2: we did not have kids. No. Okay. Um, after that, I mm-hmm. mean, I'm talking with like six months of my divorce. I'm, actually, my divorce was still going on when mm-hmm. I met this girl from Philly uh, white girl and mm-hmm. white, you know, white, blonde, typical, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. typical girl that everybody expects me to be with. Right. Uh, met her and I moved up to Philly for her and we were married, we were married, we were together for about 10 years. I was in Philly for about 12. Oh, wow.
0: And, okay. um, how long so you met her, so you were going through the divorce and you're like, Oh, I found love again. And yeah, then I, th- okay. I thought,
2: it, I thought it was the most, uh, stable. Um, part of my life, probably up till my recovery from borderline personality disorder. We, we moved up to Philly, we bought a house, we, you know, we, we were doing the whole family thing. We were going to have kids and um, the, the ironic thing about borderline personality disorder and why it's so sneakily destructive mm-hmm. is that the better things are going in your life, the better that things are going on in, on in your life the more secretive the disorder is. so Secretive? Secretive, yeah, it, because it's, it's still controlling you. It never stops controlling you, well, as long as you have. It. And so things could not have been better. <laughs> I was wow. making more money in my life than I could ever have hoped for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a beautiful wife, a beautiful home. I lived in a beautiful neighborhood in, in Philadelphia. Everything was perfect. But underneath of this, underneath of it all, was my restlessness. You know, first of all, because of the distorted core beliefs, a person with borderline personality disorder needs external forms of...
1: Reassurance?
0: um, Stimulation?
2: Validation. Okay. Validation. That was my next guess. So, you know, if you're a normal person, you you generate your own sense of validation.
0: I'm right. I'm, worth, I'm worthwhile. Yeah. I
2: I'm, I'm worth
0: something. So things were pretty good pretty damn good for you, but it still wasn't enough or you weren't enough, rather.
2: My underlying the I still I was still living with the underlying beliefs of borderline personality disorder. Right, that, right. Okay. Which which led me to look for external forms of validation, and that was sexual escapades. So, I was working in the medical field and I had, uh, uh, you know, it was a, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It was a,
0: uh,
2: I mean, I had so many sexual escapades with nurses and doctors.
0: Ah, oh, damn, Brian, damn. Uh, it was, oh. it was... <laughs> I wish y'all could see my face right now. Damn it, Brian. All <laughs> of them, everybody in the hospital, God. Uh, you know,
2: it it was a revolving door. It was
0: Oh shit. Damn, you were a slut, Brian. I was,
2: I was, yeah. You're yeah, being was.
0: A slut. So is it it seems like it would be torture being married to a person with borderline personality disorder.
2: Well, the person with borderline first of all, there's two things happening there. First of all, if you married a person with borderline personality disorder, there's
0: something wrong with you what what if you just don't know if you don't see the symptoms
2: uh, there's listen emotionally healthy people uh-huh when they get into a relationship with a person who's emotionally unhealthy mm-hmm. they they get out
0: so let me tell y'all something i remember i don't know of last episode I calls, A lot of you call me, you say, oh my God, Naja, my husband's ex is crazy. And I tell you guys, I said, now, wait a minute, what attracted your man to that woman? You're calling her crazy and all of these things. Either he contributed or he was down for it. So listen to what Brian is saying, because I wholeheartedly agree. I had to look Yo. at my husband sideways like, um, let's go get you checked out, honey, because a normal man ain't going to deal with some of the stuff that you've been telling me. Um. So Brian, you were having these escapades and you knew it was wrong or what, what made you stop? You got caught?
2: No, it was, you know, it was totally contrary to my personality. And by the way, I don't want to go uh, too far without saying that I, I'm so glad that you just said what you said. It's not an, it's not a, um, it's not an offensive statement to say that, Mm -hmm. that, that if you are you got with somebody who has borderline personality disorder, that you you've got your own emotional problems. Mm-hmm. It's 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 not with the intent to offend you. It's right. with the intent to say, hey, instead of worrying so much about what they've done and what their problems are, you need to stop and take a look at yourself and say, let's
0: hold up the mirror, honey. Let's right. what, look in the mirror. <laughs>
2: what what caused me to think that this was a good idea in the first place? Because mm. I'm. I'm telling you, the warning signs will be there within the first three months.
0: Within the first three months?
2: Pro- well, before that. <laughs> before yeah. that. But, you know, if you're entertaining marriage, I'm, I'm assuming that at least you've been seeing this person for at least three months.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about this whole devaluation. Oh, I heard the cat. Tell me about this whole devaluation thing. Um, because like you said, you see the signs in the first three months. So I'm assuming some sort of love bomb happens. Like, oh, God, this is the best relationship. And then because of your own distorted core beliefs, uh, core beliefs, you maybe start to devalue the other person. Is that something that you experience in your relationship? You know, I'm, I'm not sure that I
2: ever devalued her, uh, really. Um, but the, the honeymoon period wore off for sure. And then I didn't feel so special anymore. That, that's the thing is that, like I said, it's an external thing. A person with borderline personality disorder needs, they, they're like a snake all right, Mm -hmm. they're like a a rattlesnake. Now, a rattlesnake, All snakes. they can't generate their own body heat. They need to go out, they need to lay in the sun for a while. They absorb some of the body heat, and then they're good for a while. Yeah. And that's the way a person with borderline personality disorder, because they cannot generate their own inner sense of self-value and worth. You know, like, emotionally healthy people emotionally healthy people say i'm inherently valuable i I don't need anything to make me valuable i'm because i was born i have inherent value right whether they know this consciously or not this is what they exist on a person with borderline personality disorder does not they are an empty shell and everything they get to make themselves to make them feel good about themselves has to come from external sources. So, when you're at work and you get you start flirting with the girls, that is a form of sunlight.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, when you're um, any any external praise or uh, adoration, that that's that is sunlight for the snake that is a person with borderline personality. And I don't mean to say that they're snakes in a in a derogatory way. I'm just using it as a, as an example to say, this is what is going on with you. You know, you, you need something external to absorb so that you can just get by in your day and feel good. I'll tell you this, Nadja, that at the height of it, um, this is, this is during my divorce. So now I'm separated from my wife and I'm still working at the hospital, uh, in Philly. Mm-hmm. And of course, I can't tell you what the hospital was. No,
0: no, no. We don't need to
2: know all that. <laughs> but I can tell you that my revolving door, you know, if I, I was sleeping with five, six uh, girls a, a day.
0: What? 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 I, was, that, I thought you were going to say a
2: week. If that a week, slowed, Brian? You meant a week? No, I'm saying a day. And, it, and if that slowed down to like two girls a day then I felt like I was shit. I felt you like not
0: devalued. I'm not, I felt, uh-huh. my God, I, I'm,
2: I'm totally worthless. Uh, I'm falling apart.
0: I see. I see. You see? Yes. It, I, th- understand. Th- I get it. So, I get it.
2: So when I use that illustration of snakes, I mean, I mean it and it's like a drug. So it, it, there's no saturation point.
0: Was there any healthy thing that you had that, um, added value back to you that you could have done for yourself, like a self-fulfilling thing?
2: while I had borderline personality disorder, no. And I would like to say that, that as long as you have borderline personality disorder, as long as you have it, um, you're never going to experience genuine happiness. You're mm-hmm. never going to, you're never going to experience genuine uh, contentment. So there's no, there's no reason to be happy with simply controlling the symptoms. You need to get rid of it completely. And it, and it's possible. so, So, so work towards that.
0: So a good place to go, everyone, um, in order to, like Brian is saying, get rid of it. If you go to the internet, internet's going to tell you, oh, there's no cure, but it's treatable. A good place to go for some real help. And I'm in, I'm in Brian's Facebook group. Um, and I'm seeing actively, I don't really post much there, Brian, but I see the help that people are getting just from listening to your podcast and reading your blogs and brian does share an awful lot of himself with all of us so a good place to go number one is there um brian can you give them your facebook group information
2: sure yeah if you want to find the facebook group uh and give should... them
0: everything as a matter of fact give them everything all right all right sure <laughs>
2: uh if you want to find the facebook group uh, it's brian barnett colon uh, borderline personality disorder there's two uh, mandatory questions that you need to answer to get in uh, that helps me uh, know who my audience is and helps me understand if you're somebody worth you know investing my my free energy into
1: yeah
2: uh, because it's a free uh, thing that i'm doing um mm-hmm. and my email is uh the last symptom
0: the, and your blog is also the last symptom
2: yeah, well I've got a I've got a new website coming out here soon. Oh. It's, it's gonna be a brand new spanking website. Uh awesome. it's gonna be thelastsymptom dot com. Yes. Uh, my Email is the last symptom at gmail.com. So if you want to get in touch with me there, the, the website's not ready yet, but you know, I'm, I'm working on it and I'm trying okay. to figure out all the Well,
0: what I'll do, um, I always share a blog with, uh, with the listeners so they can find all your information. So I'm going to list all your social media. I'm going to list a group and guys, if you're going to join, just, you know, tell them you heard the podcast and you want more information. And is it okay if people that have uh, possibly BPD, um, people suffering from BPD in their families, is it okay if they join or is it exclusively for people that want to fight the symptoms?
2: You know, my group is for everybody, everybody who is interested in educating themselves about this, this disorder, because like you said, there's a lot of misinformation out there and I'm fighting against that. I'm a very small voice and there, uh, and I'm fighting against a lot of large voices. So yeah. anybody who wants to educate themselves on this topic, I, I'm happy to have you
1: there.
0: Brian what pisses you off when you look at the information out there that's you know the the misinformation or the information about BPD what really just burns your biscuits when you're like my god that is so wrong what's (laughs) like a couple of things that you just want people to be like listen y'all that ain't right
2: (laughs) burns my biscuits well well, yes where where, where I'm from we say it puts a hair in my biscuit
0: okay even better I reckon
2: (laughs) (laughs) well uh you know something that really bothers me is that uh when I look at the professional community, I, I respect some of them at the same time, they're in an elevated position in society where they should know the answers to these things. And uh, if you don't, if they don't know, I don't fault them exactly for that. What I do fault them for is spreading misinformation. Because Mm -hmm. if you're looking, let's say that you're looking for uh, a penny. Okay. I, I pull out a, a penny out of my pocket and I say, this is an actual penny i'm going to put it on the table let's see if you can find it well if there's nothing else on the table you can find that penny very easily right but if i dump out two thousand false pennies on the table among that penny now try to find the real penny it's really hard and that was the thing that was really difficult for me Mm -hmm. when i was recovering from borderline personality disorder was separating the bullshit from Mm -hmm. from the information that was real you know and so that's what I'm trying to do for my followers now is I'm trying to save them from that misdirection yes. and lost effort because, you know, it can, if if a person gets discouraged within that process, it can mean the end of their life, literally. I mean, it can be that they can, they can just, they might live with the disorder for the rest of their life. And guess what that means? It means that they're all their children and grandchildren are going to live with it. But, if I can help people get that out of the way and see what's real and what's worth their time, then they might be able to recover in even less time than I did. I, I did it in seven years. You know, I'd like you to do it in two years.
0: Right. And, because they don't have then, to go through that table full of pennies. You're giving them the information right the, there.
2: I'm putting the penny right there in front of
0: their nose. That's exactly why I do what I do. I was like, I'd be damned if it takes someone else six years to figure out how to deal with a high conflict co parent. I'd be that's good right. and damned. I said, not on my watch. So, Amen, um, sister. Amen, you, sister. You mentioned something. I know we're, we're probably way over time, but I'm pretty sure everybody out there is enjoying listening to this. So, one of the nine major symptoms that's listed online. Mm-hmm. Um is suicidal thoughts or behaviors. And you mentioned something that kind of made me think about that. Um, you're like, hey, you know, it, you, it could really mean the end of a person's life, um, them living yeah, in a physical sure. and literal sense. Did you ever sure. have any experiences where you thought about ending your life because it got too overwhelming?
2: You know, it's never been a part of me. It's not really who I am. I've mm-hmm. been, a, I, You know, I've got the, uh, the benefit of being a positive person. I've always been so. But there was a time uh, when I was in Philly, and when I uh, and I tell this story openly to people who follow me, where i had gone out to this field. I across from my apartment. I was in um, Jenkintown, PA, mm-hmm. and across from my apartment, everybody will know exactly where I live. <laughs> there was a, uh, a a tennis court and a big baseball field uh, in Jenkintown, and I'd take my dog out there, let him run around for a little bit at night. Late at night, like eleven or twelve o'clock at night, I went out mm-hmm. there one night into this field. And uh, when I was a, when I was growing up, you know, on the on the farm out in the woods, I, I often went out into the woods and looked up at the stars. And I know this is getting windy, but <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, this was a turning point for me in my life. I went out there, I looked up at the stars, and I talked to God for a little bit.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well that that was my hidden rock bottom event. hmm You know, I uh the enormity of my losses come down on me. And mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> You saw you saw your life being disheveled right before your very eyes because of your own
2: I saw it on context. I saw the present, I saw the past, I saw the future.
0: And it was not And it how was... my
2: life had been deviated
1: now. And um Well,
2: that was the closest I got to suicidal thoughts. I, I knew at that point it was either sink or swim.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, you were blessed because you chose to swim and then you're sticking your hand out there to come in and, and grab others. And uh, not everyone else has, that's not been everyone else's journey. No, it's
2: not. And you know, there, there are a lot of people who don't have the bent that I have of
0: positivity. Yeah. Right. And,
2: and I feel I, my heart goes out for them because I know <laughs> that if I could be if I could be taken there to that point of, holy, you know, I don't even know if I want to keep living. Right. If I could be taken there, there are people who are much, um, you know, they're not they're not as strong in character as me. Right. And I, and I feel for them very much, very, very much.
0: If you, do you ever think about, um, I know they say there's a few symptoms, like nine symptoms that help these people to diagnose, the people that are doing the actual diagnosing because of insurance purposes. You know, there's there's like a checklist that they have. Is there something that you've seen that's missing from that checklist?
2: Well, I think anything superficial like that is not um, conducive to genuine recovery when you're talking about people. Mm-hmm. you know we're not robots yeah you, you, a checklist won't do it you, you need somebody who is empathetic who can sit down and can be really interested in getting to the bottom of things and not have the um the insurance
1: uh, mm, uh yeah.
2: structure you know in place but i mean we we live in the real world don't we so we have yeah. to deal with the real life
0: Okay. Okay. So, you know, Brian, this has been such an awesome eye opening interview, probably one of my favorite ones thus far because of how deep we go. And initially, you know, I I wanted you on the show because we do, we are, we have a community of people that are probably stuck in these high conflict situations, but it's rare that we kind of get to go in depth to the other side to kind of understand the other, the, the conflicted person. And, um, and ourselves and, and really ourselves. So I thank you so much for helping us to see that. I mean, I thank you for, uh, you know, I was so happy when I found you on Quora. I was happy when you opened up the Facebook group and then we became Facebook friends. And I think me and you've been friends for like a year or so now. So yeah, yeah, it's
2: been going on a year.
0: I'm so personally thankful for, um, this thing that God has put in your life, you know, turned out to be a mess, but now it's become your message. I'm so thankful for you. And I hope you know that. And I hope you can feel that from everybody on a daily basis because you're helping people that otherwise have nowhere to turn. So you, just like you talk about the last symptom, you probably a lot of people's last hope. And I hope all you guys out there have gotten some value from this. We joke around and we play a lot on this podcast, but I hope that you can understand the depths of the other side of the conflict that you are dealing with. And Mr. Brian Barnett, I got to say, thank you, my brother and my friend. Thank you for being here.
2: Well, listen, you don't have to call me, Mr.
0: Well, you know, <laughs> <laughs>
2: and, and the pleasure really has been all mine. I, um you know, I, I've only got good things to say about you. I, I try to keep up with everything that you're doing. Oh, you I'm, know, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a big fan.
0: Thank you. Um,
2: uh, I'd like to say to all of your listeners out there that uh, Naja, actually, we, as she said, we started talking about a year ago, and uh, she and I talked on the phone for a long time. Sure did. She, she has been nothing but helpful for me and my efforts, and I I am so grateful to her. I, I just can't tell you how much great how grateful yeah. I am to her because she's had such uh, success in what she's doing. And uh, yes, yeah, she's put herself on a limb and given her free time to me. I, I'm just uh, blown away by your kindness. I, I thank, thank you very you.
0: much. Thank you so much, Brian. I appreciate that. And everybody that's tuning in, I appreciate you guys too. And we'll see you soon. We'll see you very soon. Miss Naja loves ya. I'm crazy. I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. I know
1: I know I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy. With naja Hall.